0: If you were here with us last week, we tried to set the stage for what Paul was doing in this section of his letter to Titus by saying that after in the first chapter stressing the importance of good godly elders who are gonna faithfully teach and instruct the church, that is for the health and the longevity of a body of Christians, He also draws out the the conflict or the danger that exists, we would say for any church at any time, which is that there are many out in the world around us also working their way into the church who would teach things that are not squarely aligned with what God has revealed in Scripture. And along with that, not only do do they teach things that are off the mark, but they also live lives that are not consistent with those who have been made new by Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons that you need good godly men who are going to faithfully, persistently teach and instruct the church. But then Paul goes in chapter 2, verse 1, and because of the danger of erring on one side or the other where you make it all about some sort of academic exercise or it's all about self-help, Paul says, Paul ties the two together and says in one, but you referring to Titus, speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So there it is again. The church is to be fed, is to be built up on the Word of God, and as they stand on the Word of God, they're learning what it means to walk in these new realities that Christ has created for us. We're learning to walk on the foundation of God's Word with these new feet and new hands and new minds and hearts. And so in two, one, and following what Paul then begins to do, he addresses different groups of people within the church community to say that based on sound doctrine, here's the kind of conduct or behavior that fits with that, that is appropriate for it. And last week we looked at what Paul had to say in chapter 2, verse 2 about behavior or conduct that is fitting or appropriate for older men. This week we have Paul addressing the kind of conduct or behavior that is fitting for older women and younger women. All right. So the men were uncomfortable last week. The women will be uncomfortable this week. All right. Not really. This is actually, I think, a very encouraging passage. But let me do this. Let me let me read the the verses that we have. Let me pray for us that God would give us wisdom and humility as we uh, as we. Consider the things that Paul has said, and then we will begin to work our way through the text. Paul says this in 2.3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to wine or to much wine, teaching what is good, in order that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us now to rightly understand what it is that you have revealed to us in these verses. Uh, Help us, Father, with all of the distractions that exist around us Uh, not just in this room, but the distractions that we bring in, the competing thoughts and philosophies of the day uh, from our culture and society, that we would take every thought captive to Christ, uh, that we would judge all things according to the measure of perfect truth that we have in your word, and that we would delight in the things that we find here because they come from you. Help us, Father, to trust that in everything that you say, you are good and wise and loving. And we pray that your word would be used now to comfort and encourage, to convict and correct where necessary, but in the long run, to build up this body of believers here at Edgewood Baptist for your glory and for our maturity. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. All right, let me, let me start by um, doing something a little bit different. Let me try to address some objections or some concerns right up front because anytime you have a passage like this where you have uh, Paul or a New Testament writer talking about women and you have a man up here talking about women and you have a culture that is in certain respects, depending on the day and time, at loggerheads with each other or in turmoil about the way that men and women relate to one another and the way that they are distinguished from one another. That can make for an uncomfortable situation. And there are at least two extremes that you can run to when you take a passage like this. One is that you can run uh, so hard in the direction of being aggressive and dogmatic That before you know it, the verses that you're reading that are addressing older and younger women are being wielded almost more like a club to beat people over the head rather than being used as good food and medicine for God's people to build them up and encourage them, to soften their hearts. All right, that's one extreme. The other extreme is is that you probably, because of. Maybe our personal experiences where we've seen, maybe even within a church, we've seen episodes or examples of this kind of a passage being mishandled or misused. Or because of the fact that we are swimming in a culture and a society that really does not hold this kind of thinking in high esteem, we become a little bit uncomfortable or dare we even say it, embarrassed by what the scriptures say on these things related to men and women and children. And so we run in the other direction. We're not going to be super dogmatic on it. We're not going to beat people over the head and ask them to conform to this. What we're going to do, we're going to go and we're going to be borderline apologetic for what you have here in the scripture and try to find every way possible to soften what the scriptures say so that by the time you get to the end, it's hard to understand whether or not there's anything that a Christian, a modern day woman should take from this passage. All right, so let me give you a couple concerns and objections just right up front that I'll try to alleviate because I don't think that we're going to spend much time once we actually get to the verses going back and forth, balancing these things out. I'm trying to establish a little bit of a a baseline here up front. One, it it is common to have people approach a passage like this and to say, well, what what we have here in scripture is really not much more than a reflection of the of the culture in which Paul and the early church found themselves in. In other words, these instructions to older and younger women are more cultural concerns for the ancient Mediterranean world, but here we are in 2022. We're not an ancient society. We're modern westerners. We've we've sort of, you know, evolved or grown past some of these things and we shouldn't understand or view these cultural concerns to be binding on us because we live in a different culture, all right? The problem with that is, is that when you go back up to one, which is the heading for all of the instructions that you have to older men, older women, younger women, younger men and servants... Paul prefaces what he says by the fact that Titus is to be teaching, is to be saying the things that are fitting, not for the culture, but for sound doctrine. In other words, although there will be ways in which, and we'll talk about it, while there will be ways in which the culture and the historical era that, that the church existed in at this time does play a role or a factor in how we understand and appreciate what Paul is saying, we can't just simply write these instructions off as just being limited to a particular day and age, a particular culture, as if it has nothing to do with us, because Paul is intending for all of these instructions, whether to older men or older women, younger men or younger women, to be rooted, to be grounded in doctrine, church doctrine, that does not change, that is eternal. Therefore we ought to consider that what Paul says here is as authoritative and binding, if we can say it that way, in what he says to women as to what he says to men. Second, there needs to be some sort of recognition because oftentimes when you come to this, you, you, we can have such a narrow view. We, we sort of compartmentalize what Paul says to men and what Paul says to women. And we don't notice that there is a lot of overlap in what Paul says to both men and women. So for example, if you're looking at your, at, at your verses, 2, 3 through 5, Older women are instructed to be, depending on how your, your version reads, to be reverent. Or what, what do some of, your, some of your other versions have? Reverent, dignified, okay, something like that. Okay, that's, that's really, it's not the exact same word, but it's in the same frame of mind as what Paul said earlier to the older men who were said to be dignified. I want older men to be dignified. I want older women to be dignified and reverent. In other words, he's not necessarily telling the older women anything that he hasn't already told the older men. Further, he says to the older women that older women in the church are not to be enslaved to much wine. Is that because the only threat to people boozing it up in the church came from the female side? And I'm not going to say that I saw some of you shaking your head. The answer to that is no. And in part, we know that because in the opening chapter, when Paul is addressing elders, you know what he says about elders? That they're not to be enslaved to wine. So the same thing that he's saying here to older women, he said earlier to the elders in the group who were men. Furthermore, you get down a little bit, you get down a little bit and Paul is addressing or saying what younger women ought to be like. He says that they ought to love their husband and love their children. Surprisingly enough, he says when he's addressing older men that older men are to be sound in faith and in love. He's instructed older men to be loving, he's instructing younger women to be loving. Do you see what's going on here? And one of the threads that runs through all of this to all of the groups that Paul addresses, the one word that continues to show up over and over again is Paul is encouraging them, exhorting them to be sensible. Every single group is is told in one way or another that they ought to be living sensible lives as the people of God. So this this is not... Cultural, this is not chauvinistic. This is rooted in timeless doctrine. This is the way that God's people ought to live as they live out their faith. And it's not putting an undue burden on women that Paul would also not expect or put on men as well because there is so much overlap. Second, aside from the cultural concern, even if you set that aside, one of the things that we chafe against in as modern Western people is the idea that when, especially when it gets to younger women, that they ought to be loving their husbands, loving their children, workers at home, submissive to their own husbands, right? So we hear that phrase, workers at home, and we think, yeah. He's just like all the other men. When he looks at a woman, he thinks, why isn't she barefoot and in the kitchen? And pregnant too. Right? Not what's going on here. Not what's going on here. I don't think that what Paul is doing when he says things like, younger women ought to love their husbands and children, ought to be workers at home, ought to be submissive to their husband. I don't think that what Paul is doing, I don't think that Paul is trying to restrict a woman's freedom or in any way is trying to be demeaning or condescending. Rather, I think it's just the opposite. There, there's been a number of studies that have been done, hi- historical studies, about kind of some of the, the cultural trends that were going on in the Roman Empire at this time. And one of the trends has been, has been designated the, the new woman. And one of the things that comes out when people begin to look at some of the historical records and even some of the things that secular historians wrote in that particular day and age is that there were movements within Roman society where either because of wealth and prosperity or because of certain legal protections and legal equalities, there were newfound or at least newly enjoyed freedoms that women were beginning to enjoy and the problem was not that they had say in our terminology equal rights or new freedoms but what the flesh often does we take any good thing and we corrupt it and pervert it. So that the problem that Paul was trying to address was not that he was trying to restore Strain women restrict their freedom, but rather trying to get them to temper the use of their freedom. So one historian puts it this way, the new wife or widow in the late Roman Republic and early empire was the one whose social life was reported to have been pursued at the expense of family responsibilities. That, in, that included the complex running of households. In other words, women were seeking in many cases, especially the affluent women, were seeking to establish their identities according to their own whims and preferences to the detriment of those who were entrusted to their care. And that is one of the things that Paul is primarily concerned about. Now people, I don't need to tell you, pulling a line from Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, right? This is is not just for women, but for men too, right? This is one of the pervasive lies of a world in rebellion to God that says you are the one who establishes and creates your own identity, you set the agenda, you set your priorities, and the more that you do that, the more freedom you will find. Rather than recognizing that we have a good and wise creator who is ordered this life that we have been given, and that the instructions and the guidelines and the directions and the lifestyle that he lays out for his created order, and especially for us, his people, is a good thing that he has done for us, that he is not meaning to restrict the freedom and liberty that we enjoy in Christ. Rather, he is intending for that freedom and liberty to be channeled in ways that we can make the most of it and enjoy it to the fullest. And, might I add, without it being at the expense of other people. Last thing I'll say along the lines of submission and men you need to hear you need to hear this as much as the women do submission has been in part because of the way that we have misinterpreted it and misused it submission in a marriage has been turned into something that we look on with suspicion if not outright hostility i'll just i'll just put this out to you Simply, men and women, especially those of you who are married or we'll say even for those of you who aspire to be married, submission in the New Testament is something that a wife gives to her husband. It is not something that he takes from her. You hear that? When Paul addresses women... Or when Paul addresses the issue of submission, he is always addressing the women, not the men. He never instructs the men, see to it that your wives are good and submissive. He doesn't do that. Rather, he says, husbands are to be this way, wives are to be this way. Husbands are to give, things to their wives. Wives are to give certain gifts to their husband, and one of the things that a wife gives voluntarily as a reflection of her love for the Lord and His Word, one of the things that she gives as a gift to her husband is submission. It is a tragedy that the church is not a more consistent witness on the beauty that God has created in a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife that reflects the glory and the beauty of the love relationship that exists between Christ and his church. Now, having said all of that, I'll say one last thing before we actually get to the text. If none of these thoughts or replies to the concerns that we may bring as modern westerners to a passage like this if none of these things are convincing to you or persuasive you still feel a little unsettled uncomfortable or maybe even sort of disagreeable with what you read here The, the last and maybe even really the best appeal that i can make to you is just simply to say this is what we have in god's word Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enlightening the eyes. The commandments of the Lord are pure. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Even if you do not find any other reasons or explanations convincing and persuasive, my appeal to you, not just to women but to men as well, is just simply to fall back on the fact that this is the the good word that a good God has given to his people for our good. And then just simply ask, Lord, would you change and move my heart and my mind to rejoice in your word. Titus 2 3. Older women <clears throat> are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. we probably ought to consider that one of the things that Paul recognizes and understands as he's addressing these older women is he knows something about the society that they live in. Right, you, you remember the famous line where Paul quotes from one of their own prophets or one of their own poets in chapter one? What, how are the people of Crete, Cretans, how are they described in chapter one? Liars, beasts, lazy gluttons. They're self-indulgent, fleshly driven, despicable people. So what do you do if God has saved the people out of that lifestyle and is creating a new community in that midst? What do you tell older women they ought to be? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, not like that. Okay, let, let me share. I think one of the reasons that Paul addresses the older women this way is, is for two reasons. One, the overall culture that they live in. It is a self-indulgent, gluttonous society. You, you live and enjoy just satisfying whatever urges and cravings you have. Now... The added challenge to that, especially for older women, is there was a day and time when because of the fact that you had young kids in the house or you had grade school kids or you had teenagers or something like that, your, your hands were busy and your day was full making sure that the kids didn't kill themselves or making sure that they were fed, making sure that they ate. What happens though when the children begin to leave the nest? And you're living in an indulgent, decadent society with all this time on your hands. One thing that you could do as an older woman is to say, well, I've paid my dues. Now it's time to hit cruise control and I'm just going to coast off into the sunset and I'm going to enjoy the years that I have left. It's me time. That's that's one way you could do it. One of the ways maybe that that would display itself or uh, reveal itself is that you begin to take advantage of the free time, the freedom, the flexibility that you have in your schedule. You're going out and you're spending a lot of your time in social gatherings and in uh, eating and drinking and talking about the latest news that's been going around Creed and gossiping, right? You, You see what's going on. Paul though comes and says, now listen, Older women, and probably here, I think he probably is referring to older women in the sense that they may be either widows or empty nesters, but, but older women, they, they probably would have known who they were, older women are not to view the life that they still have laying ahead of them as something that is theirs. means for them to understand that although you may not know what to do with yourself right now and you're trying to fill your time and your days with all these fun enjoyable hobbies and activities don't buy into the mindset of the society around you there's still work to be done you older woman have work to do lasting, meaningful work for the Kingdom of God. You are not irrelevant. You are not unnecessary. You are a vital part of what God is doing to build up a people for Himself that's going to stand as a witness to this decadent culture around you. You ought to be reverent or dignified in your behavior. That word that Paul uses there, the only time that it shows up in the New Testament is in this verse. Other writers of the day use this word to say that someone was priest-like. That is, that they were sort of holy and sanctified and they conducted themselves as a respectable divine servant would. Older women, don't throw caution to the wind. Don't become self-indulgent. Consider that you still have work to do in God's household, in His temple, with His people. Be reverent and dignified in your behavior. Don't become self-indulgent. Don't throw off all restraint. And the ways that Paul talks about maintaining restraint for older women comes in both what they communicate with their mouths and what they consume with their mouths. Do you see that? Don't go around just spreading gossip. Don't go around talking about the latest rumors. Don't go around dogging this person behind their back. And you certainly shouldn't be conducting yourself in such a way that you're just indulging whatever fleshly desires you may have, whether that be in gluttonous eating or in abusive drinking. And notice that when he gives those characteristics, the the reverent, the not addicted to wine, the the not being a, a backstabber or a gossiper, he says that older women ought to teach what is good. Who who are they going to be teaching by the way? Younger. younger women. Let me pause right here for a second. They are to teach what is good to the younger women. What what is that? What does it mean to teach what is good? Okay, some people have said, well, what Paul has in mind here is that the older women as they maintain this sort of dignity and self-control and and put up put a good example up to the younger women that they're going to teach these younger women about, well, what Paul says in the next verses about how to be a, a good wife, how to be a good mother. In other words, the good things that they're going to teach are all related to the domestic spirit. And I think that's far too limiting. They are to teach what is good And part of the good that they will teach relates to how they live as wives and mothers. But ultimately and foremost, what an older woman ought to be doing in instructing a younger woman is to be teaching her the good things that come from God's Word. Older women, let me challenge you this way. If you happen to be an older woman who has the privilege of seeing her kids off, thriving, doing well, right, you're an empty nester. One of the best things that you can probably do to make the most of your time is to become a better student of God's word. You remember those times when you when you had little kids in the house and you couldn't get two seconds of peace to read one verse out of your Bible? Guess what? You got all the time. Well, not all the time in the world. You got a lot more time. Is that a good way to say it? You have more time now than you did back then. What are you going to do with it? If you, as an older woman are going to teach what is good, you ought to be filling your mind and your heart with the goodness that comes from God's Word. So that when you have opportunities to instruct younger women, you have a supply to draw from rather than just fumbling around or not knowing to do with an open door that the Lord gives to you. Let me also say this, one of the things that sometimes can prevent an older woman from doing this sort of thing that is teaching what is good and instructing the younger women to live this way as wives and mothers, is because of either some regrets that they have in their own personal life, right? Like, you know, I was not a good wife or I was not a good mother, therefore, how can I tell them to be a good wife and a good mother? So regrets or embarrassment over past failures or the sense that if I, if I encourage or challenge them to be something that I really was not when I was their age, well, that will be hypocritical. No show of hands, but I'm, I'm assuming that there are some women in here who probably feel that kind of pressure or that kind of burden or weight. Right, that the, that the older women who ought to be doing this sort of things, they're the older women who really had it figured out. Look at their kids. They're all clean. They have no records. They're upstanding members of society. She never fights with her husband. Everything that she... Her house is a, everything is perfect, right? That's not me. I can't do that. So-and-so can do that, but that's not for me. Consider older women this encouragement. Paul does not say to the older women that older women who had a perfect record as wife and mother are to instruct younger women to be perfect wives and mothers. Rather, what Paul says is, Older women ought to be giving evidence of the fact that their lives have been transformed by the power of God through the gospel, and by virtue of that transformation, the fact that they are giving credible evidence of the fact that they have been made new, that is what gives them the opportunity to speak into the lives of these younger women. Right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he considers the ministry that God has given to him and his fellow apostles to bring his message to others, to reconcile them to God, Paul says, who is adequate for these things? And then a little bit later, he answers the question. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but God is the one who makes us adequate. Women, you have the unbelievable privilege of coming to younger women, many of whom are confused, many of whom may be tired and worn down, perhaps ready to throw in the towel, many of whom are struggling to find a lifeline to keep their sanity, you have the unique privilege to go to them and to say, whether because of your background or not, don't give up, don't stop working, don't stop laboring, God is the one who is going to make you adequate and sufficient and competent to do the things that he has called you to do. And older women, when you do these sorts of things, you are investing and building the kingdom of God for generations to come. Younger women, one of the things that Paul says older women are to teach, one of the good things that they teach is good instructions about loving their husbands and loving their children. We're just at the risk of assuming that we're all on the same page, isn't it interesting that Paul here in this passage says that one of the things women ought to be told is to love their husbands and their children? As if, now just bear with me, as if it's possible for a young woman not to love her husband or not to love her children. Or at the very least, to not love them well. To not love them for their own sake, but rather to love them for what the husband can give to me or how he makes me look or to love the children for the appearance or the impression that it creates for me when I'm hanging out with my friends or with my social group, right? You're you're loving husband and children for what they offer to you rather than just freely and generously loving them because God has given them to you. Notice also here that when Paul says that younger women ought to be taught how to love their husbands and their children, he does not then give a list of ten things that a wife must do to be a loving wife. Part of that, I think, is because of the fact that while there will be some common building blocks of how a wife will love her husband, there are also a lot of ways in which one wife loving Her husband is going to be very unique to their relationship and to their situation, right? This wife is going to love this husband this way because of who he is. This wife over here may not love her husband in that same way because that just wouldn't make sense. So older women are going to come, and with all of the grace and humility that they can muster, they are going to try to encourage younger women to love their husbands and their children, but to do so with grace and not by putting a greater burden on them and making it a legalistic duty. They are to be sensible and pure and workers at home, and there to be good. Let me skip to that last pairing, workers at home and good. When Paul says that younger women ought to love their husbands and their children and that they ought to be workers at home, does that mean that a woman cannot work outside of the home? Right, I don't think so. One, and we we won't belabor this point, but if if you go back sort of the quintessential, like here's what a a good woman is, Proverbs 31, right? What woman hasn't seen that before? Proverbs 31, the the good woman, the virtuous woman. One of the things that's interesting in that description, she is really busy, and she's really busy in a lot of different places. But but all of the busyness of that wife and mother is done for the benefit of her family and her home. And that's the key. Women, listen to me, younger women especially, the world around you, especially in this day and age, is preaching in no uncertain terms, that things like marriage and motherhood is more of a burden than a gift. That marriage and motherhood prevents you from becoming as fulfilled and significant as you ought to be. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. You are not going to see in the news a breaking headline. Faithful wife changes her 500th diaper in six days. That doesn't make news. And because it doesn't make news, it's thought to be insignificant. Garbage. If this is God's word, and if this bears the authority of God himself... I'm here to tell you younger women who are wives and mothers that the most noble, self-fulfilling, meaningful task that you can do is the very thing that God has given you to do, which is to be a good wife and a good mother if you're married and if you have children. And at the end of the day, even though this world and this society may totally ignore you or even demean you and ridicule you, at the end of the day, what you're living for, what you're serving for is to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you a husband and I gave you children and you are faithful in those things, come. Enjoy your reward. It's also important to recognize and to realize that as all of the busyness of life begins to creep in and it wears us thin, that Paul says they are to be busy working at home, but then he also says that they are to be kind. One of the hardest things in the world is to be so busy doing so many things, keeping so many plates spinning, and yet not to treat your children as an impediment or as an obstacle to the task that you want to get done. That you don't view them as interruptions, but that you are busy every day, and yet not so busy that you can't extend love and kindness your husband and to your children men let me let me try to draw this to a close let me say a word to men who probably have been sitting rather comfortable through this whole thing if this is what the Lord has given to women, both to older and to younger women. Older women ought to be this sort of way and they ought to be about these sorts of tasks, investing in, taking time with, instructing younger women. And if younger women are said to be this way, men, you have a role that you can play to encourage the women around you and especially if you're married, encouraging your wife to be this kind of woman. So maybe one time that means that rather than expecting this, you're going to say, hey, why don't you go meet with so-and-so because I remember you said that she was struggling with. She could probably really use some of the help that you can offer and provide for her, right? You give of yourself so that she can give of herself. It also means that as we look around us, men, that rather than being dismissive about the things that women have been called to do, that's women's work, right? We don't think like that. No, we say this is God's work that he has given to these women, therefore it is immensely valuable. And we want to see women fulfilled and thriving in the work that God has given them to do because it is His revealed will. And at the end of the day, Paul ties all of this up down in verse 5. Why should older women be of a certain kind of character and behavior? Why should they be investing in younger women? Why should younger women be loving their husbands and their children? Why should they be working at home and being good and being sensible? Why all of this? in order that the word of God not be blasphemed. The last thing that we want to see happen is that we want a people who knows how to talk a good game, but has no life to back it up. You say all this about God making you new, about God saving you, about giving you joy and contentment and satisfaction. You don't look, you you look just like all the rest of us. I've got the same thing you've got. I'm pursuing the same things that you're pursuing. I'm just doing it without your religion. Or worse, we abuse the things that God has given as good gifts to his people, and that then brings his word into disrepute. Oh, those Christians and those Bibles of theirs. You see what that leads to, right? You see what kind of misery, what kind of stunted growth this Christianity leads to? One of the ways that we can be the most effective witnesses for the saving power of Jesus Christ is by letting His Word sink deep into our hearts and minds and letting it work its way out in practical ways, in the callings, in the opportunities, in the vocations that He's given us, to show that the power that we claim to have been given is a real life-changing power. That when the Word comes in and when it's received, the Word of God does its work in us, and it is changing us to make us look more and more alike the people of God. Bow with me in prayer. Father, help us, we ask, to continue to find your word to be words of life. that we would understand that all that you have spoken to us, you have spoken to us for our good and for our joy and for our greater fellowship with you and with one another. I pray especially for the women in our midst today, Father, that whether older or younger, that the words that you have given to us and especially to them in Titus 2 would be encouraging, would be nourishing, Father, if necessary, would even be corrective to get them to see where priorities ought to lie and where true meaning and true satisfying eternal work is to be found. Father, as men, would you cultivate in our hearts and our minds a great love and respect for the calling that you have given to women so that we would respect it, so that we would uh, support and encourage the things that you have called them to do. And do it, Father, in such a way that the life that we share here at Edgewood Baptist would just look so refreshing and healing to a broken, chaotic world around us that people would be drawn to hear the word that gives life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen, church help but sit here and and think you know we're not promised next sunday we're not promised to gather together next sunday god's word tells us that he'll come like a thief in the night and so i encourage us as we sing these last two verses will you sing it with all your heart soul mind and strength as if we're not going to come back next sunday we may be drafted up into heaven so sing it like you mean it amen let's let's stand as we sing revive us again We praise
2: thee, O God, for the Son of thine love. For Jesus, who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen.
0: Hallelujah,
2: thine the glory. Revive. And verse 4, revival.
1: up here. Uh, Bill and Susan Vang had purchased these flowers in honor and memory of their son, Tim Vang. As you walk out, you'll see them. Just want you to acknowledge them. They're beautiful flowers, and I'm sorry, Vang family, for not bringing them over from the sanctuary. Uh, And then also, one quick reminder, they are selling those tickets out these doors. Uh, Miss Amy would love for you to get tickets in advance, and you save some money. So God bless. Hopefully we'll see your kiddos tonight.